chapter 14. And of course, I encourage you to be here for all the services. They certainly can be a help to you. And there's just as much as put into a Wednesday night service as is put into a Sunday morning service. And you'll get, you, you know, the Word of God is it, that milk, it's that meat, it's that strength that you need. And I believe it is the key to changing your life. And it's not just coming here, it's what you do when you're here. It, it, it's allowing the Word of God to do what it needs to do in your life. And, uh, uh, but Acts chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at the first 18 verses of what is taking place here. And uh, again, I'll review where we're at uh, here in just a second by way of introduction. But let me go ahead and read the text, pray, and then I'll do a bit of review to remind you exactly what's taking place at this point in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude of the Jews and also of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part held with the apostles. And when, they were, and when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews, with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them. They were aware of it, and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there, that's what they did, they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, Evident in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. When the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. They called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurus because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they rent their clothes, ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and the earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people uh, that they had not done sacrifice unto them. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the service today. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified and honored. Lord, I pray that your word would feed your people and help us and draw us closer to you. I pray that it would not be in vain. Lord, strengthen us. Do the work that needs to be done. Meet the needs that are in here. Please do control what I say and how I say it. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. I pray that you be glorified and honored. I pray for your mercy and your grace. Please work. I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing that even, Lord, even this morning they repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, let's, get a, let's remind us back of what's taking place here. A lot of what's going on at this portion in the book of Acts. Um, things changed, really, with chapter 10. Uh, up through the first, of course, 11, 12 chapters, everything had focused on Peter and his ministry. And the rest of the, uh, rest of the book focuses on Paul and his ministry. It is the one history book of the New Testament. It describes for us what took place from a historical standpoint and how the Lord was working in the churches. It's narrative, it's stories. This is what God was doing from the time Christ ascended up to heaven all the way through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now, in Acts chapter 10, we had a major event take place, if you remember. We had the conversion of Cornelius, a Gentile. It was the first time we had the apostles or anybody that had been saved actively going to a Gentile with the gospel. They had heard the command given by Christ over and over, going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But due to their upbringing and, and what they went through, their religious teaching, and this was, such a, this was such a dramatic shift, they struggled with that command. And finally, through some miraculous events, the Lord uh, had, had given Peter a vision and had let them know, you head to this house of a man named Cornelius. And he heads to Cornelius, and sure enough, he preaches to this Gentile at his house, and Cornelius and his family put their faith in Christ. A Gentile is saved. After that, we get into the next chapter. Word spreads. The gospel goes to the Gentiles. Doesn't take long before other believers are going out to reach Gentiles. And in that chapter, we see a key location that begins to reach out Antioch of Syria. After that, they hear about it, they begin reaching Gentiles, it begins to grow. The church at Jerusalem sends Barnabas, head to see what's going on in Antioch. Barnabas gets there, he's like, wow, this thing is beginning to explode. So, know what he does? He goes and finds a man named Saul of Tarsus, who was converted in Acts chapter 9. He'd been preaching in the Tarsus Mountains in his region. He goes, he finds him, and he brings him to Antioch of Syria. So now you have five key men that are in place at this church in Antioch, or Antioch of Syria. And, and they really begin to grow. It deals with them teaching and preaching the Word of God. Could you imagine having Barnabas and Paul as your pastor? They're growing. But we come in Acts chapter 13. And in that church of Antioch, which is now the key church, the church at Jerusalem has been scattered. James Happer, the Lord, was pastoring that church. The persecution was tremendous, which ironically was being led by Saul, who is now converted and is now teaching and preaching and pastoring in Antioch of Syria. Uh, but so that church has been scattered and dwindled. The apostles are based in there, and that's about it. They've scattered throughout the entire region. So the primary church that we see the Lord really working with and orchestrating things through is this one in Antioch. And it's there that Paul said, the Lord says to that church, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, where into the work I have called them. So the Lord lets that church know, I, I, I am calling out from you, Paul and Barnabas, for the purpose of missions. It's our first organized attempt sent from a local church at world missions. They are sent out. Would you go to that first slide? Oh, just the only slide, actually. And is my, my clicker? It is gone. Um... And so we begin the very first missionary journey. So if you look over here to the right, you have Antioch right there, Syria, right there. Thank you very much. They started off, they head down to Cyprus. All right, they head to Cyprus. They get all the way to the capital there of Paphmos, and that is where they have the governor gets converted of Cyprus. 
That's where he had the counselor who was demonically possessed. They had the confrontation between him and Paul. So that man is led to the Lord, and then they had to purgate from there. All right, this is still going back into Acts chapter 13. While they're in Perga, it's very likely that Paul was sick. We take that from the book of Galatians, and we don't have any record of him preaching. Many people think he was very sick at this time, and possibly even malaria is what he was down with. So then, from Perga, they leave Perga, and they head up into the high mountains of Antioch of Pisidia. That's right up there. We dealt with that treacherous journey uh, of what they would have went through. How even Alexander the Great, I, I gave quotes from him because he hated that route. Traversing through those Tarsus Mountains, coming up into there, it was a very difficult journey. Um, just the geography was difficult. You had criminals that were surviving on that road. But they get up to Antioch of Pisidia, and that's where we've been the last couple of weeks because it's there that he heads into the synagogue, he begins to preach. And the Bible gives us a really clear outline of what Paul would would preach. And of course you had those that were being converted, those coming to know Christ, the Lord's doing a work there. And but the unbelieving Jews once again, they begin to stir up trouble. They get uh, rulers of the city, some of the devout women who were influential in that town, and they run Paul out of town. That's where we left off. When he leaves Antioch of Pisidia, he comes down to Iconium. Now, we're going to deal with a couple different places today. It's not on there. But if you drop just southeast a little bit of Iconium, about 20 miles, that's where Lystra is going to be. A little bit further south is going to be uh, Derba. That is going to be the entire, uh, uh, all the cities that Paul will reach on his first missionary journey. From that point, he's going to return back. There's an important council that's going to take place in Acts chapter 15, and we'll get to that into the next chapter. So right now, Paul is in this location of Iconium. That's where he is. Thank you. <clears throat> and so, we're going to pick up with the events that takes place in Iconium. Now, Paul, as we all realize, if you've been saved even just six months to a year, Paul is a man who the Lord used to really change the world. His efforts were... We reap the benefits of the Apostle Paul's ministry today. Let alone the fact that he was the man the Lord used to pin in two-thirds of the New Testament. He's the man that God used. His life was used, really, in just an incredible way. Paul kept the same... The same way when he approached missions. He would head into a major town. He would preach work to get a church established, work to ordain elders, charge them to reach the communities in their area from that main location, and he would go from there. He stayed, as we're going to see even today, he stayed really different amounts of times at these locations. It was whatever the Spirit of God allowed. And then he would move on and go to the next location. He was seeing really uh, tremendous success. So I want you to think about this, though. When did Paul see his life as being the gospel, that of missions? When was it in Paul's life that he realized, this is what my life needs to be about? That's in Acts chapter 9 at his conversion. When he realized that as this highly educated, very religious Jew, a Pharisee who was on a fast track to major leadership within Judaism, when he gets converted and the reality sets in that Jesus is the Christ. Wow. It hit him. 
I mean, this is it. This is the Messiah, the Savior. He understood all of a sudden when everything hit him, what it meant when he died on the cross, what that meant towards justification, how that finished all that they did in the shadow of the law, through the sacrifices, through everything that took place in the temple, all that knowledge hitting him. He realized what a debtor he was when it came to the gospel. How the importance of this message all men need to hear was upon his conversion. You know, when it comes to, when I come into sections as a pastor and I'm preaching through books of the Bible like this, there's times I come into sections like this in Acts chapter 14 where, for instance, it's easier for me to preach we're at First Thessalonians chapter 5, like we did on Wednesday night, Rejoice Evermore. I realize the truth of that, what that's going to be helping your life immediately. How if you'll get a hold of what that's driving at, how that can change you. Acts chapter 14 is more challenging. Because in here, I have, there, there's, there's two major moving parts taking place. One, if I don't get you to see the fact that you are a missionary, this will have little effect on your life. Do you understand the same when Paul realized the greatness of the truth he had and he saw himself as a debtor? The same should be true of us. We have the responsibility of this truth that we possess. There will be much that comes into your life to try and diminish that. To try and try and get you to focus on other things instead of the truth of this. I've given this example before, but it comes to mind. One of the sweetest Christian men when I was in New Ireland, in Namatanai, was a man named Jacob. Jacob was about this tall. That's why I like New Guinea. I was tall there, Greg. I enjoyed that. <laughs> Jacob was really a sweet man. He owned what we called a kaibar, a little food area. And Jacob started attending the Bible college that I'd started. And so he was, for a while, the only... A one who was a Christian who had a business, not just your average villager surviving solely on, on subsistence living through gardens. He had income. And so I am I am I can't remember the course I was I was teaching through at the time, but I know we are dealing with discipleship and being a disciple and a follower of Christ in the lesson I was in. And Jacob, I've got just a few students here. I think there were seven at the time. Jacob was on the back row. And uh, he was probably, he was younger than I was. We're about the same age. This is first term. So he's probably around 33, 35 years old, about the same age as me, I would guess. And he put his hand up right in the middle of of my lecture. And it's it's Bible college class, so I didn't mind that at all. And I said, said, yes, Jacob, what is it? And Jacob had said, he goes, he he said, I own, I have the Kai Bar, little restaurant. And he says, I see how the apostles, you know, they just forsook everything and follow Christ. And he says, he asked me, do I sell it? Should I get rid of it? And I said, I said, Jacob, I said, I can't answer that question for you. I said, the Lord might lead you in that direction, but he might not. I said, I do know this, Jacob. At the moment of conversion, the purpose of your restaurant changed. I said, prior to conversion, the purpose was the bottom line dollars. What can I do to get this to make money? 
I said, that's no longer true for you. Now the purpose is, how can I get this establishment to glorify God? And then you trust Him with the financial means that needs to come in. I said, that would still be forsaking all and following Him. The same principle is true for every one of you. Whether you own a plumbing business, whether you're in the United States military, whether you're a construction worker, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a mom teaching your children at home, the purpose of life changed when you were converted. You might not be called of God in that sense to go out for the specific purpose of establishing a church out of a local church. But you are just as much called into missions with your responsibility of the gospel out of this church right here in Anchorage as Paul was. We have a great responsibility with what has been given to us. And what our text does today it gives us just a couple of areas that if we're going to be effective, Paul, as we know, was effective. I mean, and it wasn't easy. And we see things here that will help us be effective as we approach uh, uh, how we view life when we walk out those doors. As seeing yourself as that ambassador for Christ that you actually are. If you're an engineer... That's good. Use that as a means to an end. But above that title engineer, you're an ambassador. You represent the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not going to be an accident that the people that God puts around you. So within our text, we have two different areas here that will help us greatly in order for us to be effective in our service here in Anchorage, Alaska. Remember, you have the greatest truth that the world needs to hear, that your coworker needs, that your neighbors need, that your family need. You possess it. Therefore, you have a responsibility that goes with it. In our text, we have two areas that I want to look at that help us to be effective in our service, to be an effective witness, really be an effective Sunday school teacher, an effective worker, effective in our ministry that all of us have. And the two areas we're going to look at today is that we need to be able to handle to be effective is this. We need to know how to handle persecution and pride. We see both being dealt with in this text. So let's dive into this. First off, we need to know how to handle persecution. We see that, and of course, when Paul comes into Iconium. Paul departs Antioch of Pisidia. He comes down to Iconium. This is about, was about an 80 to 90 mile journey from, from uh, where he was. Um, it's, it, this, this town would be much more Greek than Roman. It's still in the province of Galatia, in the area, uh, very cosmopolitan. It would, many of the places Paul went were always that way. It had, it had a great different deal of people who made up the citizens of the community. They had Greeks, they had Jews, they had Romans. Um, besides the locals that were actually from that area that dwelt there. Um, so Paul does as he usually does. He heads down to Iconium. They find the synagogue. He heads to the synagogue and he begins to preach. Again, this was Paul's method. We know he did that one. He had a great concern for his countrymen. We know we see that in Romans chapter 10. I mean, for a man to actually say that I, I wish I could be accursed if they would come to the faith. That's an incredible statement that he makes. But there's also, if you think about it, another really important reason why he really needed to go to the synagogue first before 
he went into the Gentiles. You think about this. If Paul starts off with the Gentiles, he loses the synagogue. He won't have a witness there. But if he goes there first, he can get the gospel in there. So you can see, you can see the wisdom this man used when he went out. <clears throat> so Paul does just that. He preaches, and soon after he preaches, persecution and opposition will arise. And it's true, when you begin serving, when you begin taking the Lord serious, opposition will come. It will. It can take place in so many different forms, but as you determine, listen, I want to do right. Opposition's going to come. It can come in many different ways. Perhaps if you have no opposition in your life, that's because there's no preaching in your life. We preach, of course, with our words which is essential. And the fact is, our life does preach. In this ever-increasing dark world, our life should stand out so much the greater. That in itself, preaching by how we live. And ensuring that you do that from the compassionate standpoint, never compromising, but doing it from a place of compassion. Of not that I'm better than you, but no, you have what I need. <clears throat> the truth is, the gospel convicts. It will always call for a response, one way or another. And in our text, we see both responses taking place. We had many that did convert. Get this little statement that, that, that'll grab you. Look at this. I thought this was pretty neat. Look at verse 1 here. So Paul is preaching. It says, in it came to, we know that he's, he's the one primarily preaching. It tells us that later in the text. Um, and it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews. And now get this. Notice the wording there. And so spake. And so spake. It doesn't say they spake. They so spake. I know when I said, I thought, you know what, I want my teaching, I want my preaching to be like that, to so speak. See, it was so speaking that there were multitudes being converted. There were multitudes saying, listen to that. There were multitudes that were going to see that even hanging on every word. You can just see Paul up there preaching with passion on how they needed this. He so spake. When the people heard him, everyone knew, whether they believed or not, they knew Paul believed this. And think of his testimony in the synagogue. I, I personally believe, he, as we get the basic outlines of what, he, of what he would preach, that's really all we get. I believe he started out many times with his testimony. I, I sat where you did. I was raised in Tarsus. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. Taught in our finest institutions. A Pharisee. And I'm here to tell you, the Messiah has been here. And they knew when he spoke those words, they knew he believed it. He was so effective. Think of how effective he was. He so spake. The Bible stresses that there. When you're talking with that co-worker... So speak. Let them see you believe it. This is teaching and preaching where the Spirit of God is involved. 
where there's power that goes with it, where it's different, which, where, which leads to, as we see in our text, multitudes believing. I like how it says here, by the way, especially, I've already, I did the series six, seven years ago on Calvinism. But I like how it says here that those who were converted, it wasn't a result of, of God predetermining, but it was a result of so speaking. It also points out to us here that they performed signs and wonders. Of course, Paul had this gift, the gift of miracles, and he would use it to confirm their words. The Bible even says that God works special miracles by the hands of the apostles. This gift no longer exists today. Now, I, I, we have those who like to claim it, and it, it in no way exists. You, you have never seen anybody in this state who has never walked one day in his life. A complete cripple. You know, at, at those, what's the guy's name? Not, Benny Hinn, right? If you read now the pastor at Bible Baptist in Fairbanks, when he was a missionary in Fiji, he went to one of the Benny... Um, what's his name? Hen Crusades. I don't know why I can't think of that right now. He went to one of the Benny Hen Crusades, and he talked about how those that were genuinely crippled, I mean, you could see it, lame legs, no, feet, no, no foot, everything there. He said they were roped off in the back. Roped off in the back. But those that Christ healed and the apostles did, you know, by the way, it's interesting how Luke compares miracles, we're going to get into this, I'm getting ahead of myself here, with what Peter did and Paul does. It's interesting. But he performs special lines, and this gift does not exist. Why did it exist then? To confirm that what they spoke was, in fact, from God. But when that which is perfect is come, then those sign gifts are no longer needed. Well, what is that? The Word of God. Do you know what they did not have in Antioch? Do you know what they did not have in Iconium to go and verify the message? A completed Bible. You have that. This has the answers to it. So, by the time we get into verse 2, opposition arises. Persecution's coming. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. Now, Satan's smart here. He is, he is attacking Paul with another type of persecution that happened in Antioch of Pisidia. He's coming at it from a different angle. All right? That was, pretty quickly, he was run out of town. That's not the case here. The word for unbelieving here is also very interesting. The word literally means this. Unpersuadable. You, you could not persuade them. They would not be persuaded. They refused to be persuaded. It's not only that they disbelieve the gospel, they wouldn't even give it a chance or consider it. There are those who, regardless of how strong your argument is, they will not be persuaded. They have determined not to believe as a position, not out of conviction based on truth. And that is what Paul is dealing with here. They were not going to be persuaded. They didn't care what he said. And they're going to bring opposition. They're going to apply persecution. And it's different. Because the opposition they provide was behind the scenes at first. It was talking. Words. Behind the scenes. To discredit. It was subtle. Talking here and there. It was working to cause division. And it was working. You know, we love Paul, but 
their words were poisonous. Their words were meant to affect their mind towards the apostles. The word there, by the way, let me just mention this in one sentence. I'm not going to spend time there. Some like to try and use this to justify that Barnabas was an apostle. He, he was not an apostle. We have, we have the twelve with the one who took the place of Judas Iscariot in Acts chapter 1. And then we have the apostle Paul. The word simply as it's used here, you can tell by it, is, is messengers. These were the messengers sent by God. That's also uh, the definition of the word, not necessarily the apostles. But that's, that's a side point here. So their attack was subtle. The city becomes divided. Paul was the talk of the town. His message, his words, his preaching. But there's division that has come in. The division was so strong. What's interesting is, is that there's actually a book written about what took place in Iconium. The name of the book, interesting enough, is called The Acts of Paul and Thecla. And it deals with the division that took place in Iconium. It gives us the glimpse of what Paul was going through. The book was meant to attack him. Focusing on lies as to what some believe was behind the scenes. According to the story, the Apostle Paul got involved with a woman named Thecla. And then ended up breaking up her entire family. The book actually described what the Apostle Paul looked like. This is what it said. Interesting. Here's, here's a quote from the book as to what Paul looked like. He was a man small in size, with meeting eyebrows, so... One unibrow, a rather large nose, bald-headed, bow-legged, but then it continues. And these were people that weren't for Paul. Strongly built, full of grace. For at times he looked like a man, and at times he had the face of an angel. It's not so much... The size, I mean, you can think, think about average, even below average, it sounds like the description of Paul is here. This bow-legged short guy with a big nose and one eyebrow. But when he would so speak, it was as if an angel was speaking to them. The passion, the authority that comes with it. So this opposition comes, there's division in the city, there's things being said. So what is their response to the persecution? And this is how we need to respond. One of the ways. He responded with amazing boldness. He did. Boldness is certainly a key and it's needed in our day. Notice what it says in verse 3. Even though their minds were evil affected towards them. Verse 3. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord. They didn't go anywhere. They stayed. They stayed. They, they continued, it says, a, a long time. We see this word used elsewhere here in the New Testament, and it meant anywhere from one month to three years. So we're probably dealing somewhere in that window that he's staying at Iconium. Many of the commentators, they didn't necessarily justify it with anything else, but I'll just put it out there. Many of them said they believe that he was there for about six months that he stayed in Iconium. And so he's staying there. He is preaching. He is preaching. He's just staying faithful to the message. There are those who are following. He's, he is strengthening the believers that have converted. 
Paul responds to what's taking place with boldness. He stays on track. The fact is, no one, nobody ever accomplished anything for God in the long run without boldness. If you decide to serve God, I assure you, opposition is going to come and it's going to require a measure of boldness on your part. I want to quote from a commentator about this. I thought his statement was excellent. He said, boldness is the quality that makes you go through when you're being resisted. And if you don't have that, you'll never go through because you'll always be resisted. It's the quality that when the opposition comes that carries you through it. Where you don't quit. Because you will be resisted. We have to make it through the opposition. We need to make it through the persecution. Because when we determine to serve God, it will take boldness. And there's going to be times that you will be tempted when you're serving God, when boldness is required, but that temptation to put self first will arise up. And you'll want to turn from that boldness and take the easy way. Sometimes it can, it can happen as simple as when you get that conviction to pass that track out. When you see that person, that conviction hits, maybe you're in line somewhere, whatever it is. And, and that intention hits and it's right, even go for it. But then all of a sudden, your mind gives you a measure of opposition. And you pause. You need to go through it. You need to go through it. We have, is it Dexter? Is that right? Now, I, I might not have at all, but I don't know if Dave's mind if, if there was a pause there for a Should I talk to him or not? You go through it. I remember, again, I've brought this up before. When, remember this, I think this is an important, important statement. I figured this out the day before leaving for New Guinea. And that is, boldness is not the absence of fear. When you're bold, it does not mean you don't have fear. It means fear is really, really present. You just go through it. Again, coming up to the weeks and then the day before leaving for New Guinea, I was not like, man, I can't wait. The day has arrived. Let's go. Mm -mm. Nope. I'm thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm getting ready to have this little tiny New Ireland with my family right now. I don't know anybody. I mean, and thoughts hitting and trying to figure out how this is going to accomplish and, and just the fear hitting, calling my brother up. And, and I, I didn't know who to call. I'm, I'm trying to figure out who to call. I, I mean, I am ready to throw up. My stomach is in knots. I'm not sleeping. And, 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 and I asked my brother, I said, I said, what am I doing? And then that morning... The, who, the pastor who just preached our family camps, Carrie and Amy, coming come to the missionary house we were staying at to pick us up. I'm not kidding. There's no word spoken. I, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I'm looking at my wife and kids and thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing? Do you know how much fear was present? It was strong. But I discovered something. Boldness is not the absence of fear. It's when you still trust God by faith. Just stepping forward with it. As you're determined to serve God, it takes that measure of boldness. It might be something 
that might seem simple, but to you, it's going to take an act of boldness that God will honor. Maybe it's just when you head into work, it's bringing your Bible. That'll give you some accountability, by the way, won't it? Maybe it's something simple like that. Where all of a sudden you got that pause because that fear hits. It takes boldness. Not only did Paul respond to the persecution with boldness, but he used wisdom. As we, see, as we read, the opposition finally came to a head. It finally came to a head, and all of a sudden the Bible says an assault was made. The word means a rush. So what happened was, they'd been there probably somewhere in the neighborhood of several months. Maybe as long as a year, maybe just six months. But everything comes to a head. A mob got stirred up, and so this mob is now heading to wherever Paul and Barnabas are staying. They're going after them, and they're going to despitefully use them and stone them. So they want to do two things to them. Think about that. They're going to torture them, and then they're going to stone them. The stoning lets us know who's behind it, by the way, doesn't it? Stoning was a method of, of, of killing someone by which group of people? The Jews. His own countrymen were the ones stirring it up, as we already knew. So the mob is coming. They're heading there, but Paul gets word of it. And when they hear about the mob coming, they leave town. They were bold, but they weren't stupid. They used wisdom and they left. You know what they did? They followed a command of Christ. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 23. When Christ told him in the very first sentence of that verse, when that persecution comes, flee to another town. That's what he's doing. He's fleeing to another town. He's using wisdom. Boldness mixed with wisdom is key. I don't have time to go into it here, but we can go into David when he used incredible wisdom when he was facing persecution from Saul, how the Bible says he behaved himself wisely. When he was facing that, that, that persecution, you could see, of course, and, and I greatly enjoyed the series we did on Sunday nights of going through his life. You, you can see his humanness in the times that he would fail, the times the flesh would take over, or the times like that when he behaved himself wisely. When he used wisdom mixed with boldness when dealing with King Saul. We're certainly going to need that. And then what I, th- what I think I'm going to do right here this morning is, is I'm going to come back to the second area when Paul departs from there because he heads to Lystra. I'm going to give you just, just a touch of it now, but I think I, I don't have time to get into this point. Now, I don't want to rush through it. I think it's too important. We read what happened. When he goes to Lystra, so he flees there. By the way, he doesn't go far. You see his boldness still in place. It's only 18, 17, 18 miles south. That's where he goes. He has in the Lystra. Apparently, there's not really a, a synagogue there because he goes to the market to preach. And during, you know, I'm sure he's been preaching several days. We read of the healing that takes place. This guy who has never walked a day in his life, crippled from birth. So you know everybody knew him. And Paul sees how this guy's hanging on every word. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to preach this next week. And Paul tells him, stand up and walk. The point I'm going, to, I'm going to drive home with that is, remember what happened. Paul didn't realize what was taking place. They were speaking in their, in their local language. What they believed 
is that Zeus and Hermes is now there. Jupiter and Mercury were now present. Now explain that why. There was a tradition in that town as to why they believed that's exactly who those two men were. And they're getting ready to sacrifice unto them. They believe they were gods. So when we look at this again next week, I want you to think about this. The temptation the devil came at with him there. Paul could have said to Barnabas, you know what? Look at the open door we have. They think we're gods. We could be the main men of this town and really do something for the Lord. Pride would have been a temptation. And we'll get more into that next week. But today, for us to be effective, we're going to need to respond in two ways. Boldness and wisdom when it comes to being effective. When you head out, let's say today, when I was doing the introduction, you said, you know what, I, got, I, I, I do, I've got to get this right. I've got to see myself as a missionary, my responsibility with the gospel. To tell others. To be looking for those that God will put before me. To pass out the track, to begin to speak. It's going to take boldness immediately. It is. I, 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 I've been at this actively with the gospel since I have been 16 years old. It still takes boldness. That doesn't end. It still takes boldness. And to use that wisdom so that you can so speak when you're telling someone else. That there's that draw where they can see it. Man, you believe this. Where it's not just canned. Some canned presentation. But it's where you believe it. With heads bowed and eyes closed.